Welcome to episode 107 of Blue Jays Happy Hour. I'm Nick Ashbourne, joined as always by Andrew Stoughton. We are coming to you after a Thursday afternoon game. And I don't know if we have to go sort of full vibe check on this, but it was a little bit of, a, I was going to say, a bit of an eventful game, it being 4-0, but also you had a you had a Bassett, a really strong Bassett start. You had an Alejandro Kirk looking alive thing. You had a Vladimir Guerrero Jr., you know, kind of opposite field rocket home run, the likes of which we haven't seen in a minute. So I'd want to linger a little bit on this game. What was what stood out to you about the uh, the matinee here? Yeah, I think that the you know the the Bassett performance in the bullpen holding it uh, was was really uh, was really nice because it could have gone such a different way, and it just felt like they were ready to blow the doors off Blake Snell all afternoon and couldn't do it and couldn't get the the runners in scoring position hits, and that was that was sort of the dri- driving the conversation on the internet for sure, and I'm sure in you know anywhere else where people were watching the game because it was uh it was just one of those things that reminded you so much of what went wrong and what was frustrating about the first half was because they it, you know and and it was it was like a an outsized version of it i think for a while like they just they 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 kept getting still walked like six or seven guys i think or something like that he had a certain number of walks uh and they just couldn't capitalize and it was uh it it, it felt you felt the dread uh, because it seemed like it was a game that they absolutely should win and, and were going to find a way not to, but uh, but managed to hang on. And then, yeah, Kirk and, and, and Vladdy really uh, pushing the runs. Insurance runs uh, have sort of been a little more frequent, I think, of late, and that has also been a really good story for them because it had, it, it, there were times where that didn't happen. And, and I think in the first half we saw a lot of... Uh, uh stressful innings from the bullpen that uh, that you could you could use dialing that back a little bit so good all around and nice to see them you know uh finish on a winning note even though the the Padres series didn't go the way they wanted it to yeah i think that as you mentioned there was that sense of dread building throughout the game of all these opportunities missed and it feels like there's so many games where a team takes, I don't know, a one-run lead, a two-run lead, but they really should have had a five-run lead. And then next thing you know, you know, one home run in the eighth inning, and it's a whole new game, even if you've dominated the game the whole time. And it just felt a little bit like it was going to be one of those days, especially given how the San Diego Padres series has gone. But yeah, there's just a few individual performances, like Bassett, um, you know, the momentum had kind of gone for him after a couple of rough outings. But if you kind of look at it now, it's sort of four good starts in a row. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe it's four or five, something like that. But, it, you know, he's got a real run going here. He's kind of bringing that ERA potentially under four again in the near future. And, you know, he's throwing a lot of I, – I, I mean, we've talked to this before. I don't love to go super deep on the nuts and bolts of Bassett because it's just so unpredictable. <laughs> like you just don't know what he's going to do start to start. Has been a little bit more sinker heavy lately, a little bit more of hard stuff, but I don't want to claim to know that that's the thing that made it work for him. But it's uh, it's good for the Blue Jays when he's pitching well and he's hit pitching like a middle of the rotation starter. Kirk is the one that stood out to me. I wrote a little bit yeah. on it, just a little blurb basically. But he, you know, he had a 15 game stretch where he didn't have a single walk or extra base hit. Like that, that's not good. That's that's really rough, especially the the walk thing for him because that's such a constant. Like there are his power ebbs and flows. It mainly does the worst one of those, um, but it it tends to disappear and appear. Whereas the the walks are always there and they kind of provide that floor for him when he's not doing that. He can be really ugly offensively. So this was the best 
performance from him we've seen in a long, long time. Like we're talking months, weeks. So that that was the biggest takeaway from the game for me was that Kirk showed the type of performance we haven't seen from him in a long time. We'll see where that goes, but they've been waiting for one like this from him. Yeah, no, they absolutely have. I think uh, Caleb Joseph after, after the game had some good stuff on uh, just the way he rotated. And I think he was looking at the Kirk keeping his his back or having his back foot up uh, as he you know uh, swung through the ball uh, that left the yard, which which he thought was good, and and you know pointed to uh, the right things mechanically happening in terms of his hip rotation, which you know that that sent off a, a, a little flare for me because you know we know that Kirk has had he was on the sixty day a couple of years ago with the the hip thing, and maybe that there's you know lingering issues of that can crop up or who knows you know he's a big guy doing a lot of squatting. Uh, you wonder sometimes about any of these guys you know being a uh, being injured or, or or hiding things, you know, we saw Bo Bichette was shaking off his hand there today. That was commented on a couple times, and and his production has kind of dipped lately, uh, which he wrote about a little bit uh, this week. Which uh, you know maybe there's something to that as well. Um, but yeah, I, I think Kirk absolutely was a standout. Vlad, you know, as we've seen with Vlad, uh, and we can take this away with Kirk as well. Is that you know okay? Yeah, you can. <laughs> you can show up once, but uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be uh, consistently back to the level that we expected. So uh, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, I mean, and the level for Vlad, the expectations are so high that one home run doesn't feel particularly meaningful. Whereas with Kirk, his yeah. power expectations are low enough that every time he hits home run, you kind of go like, oh, okay, yeah, that's a thing that he does. That's a good reminder he's capable of that. And I thought it was a good, uh, yeah, good point you mentioned in terms of that mechanical breakdown um, with Kirk because he really had struggled to pull the ball. And that's not necessarily his game, but when he hits for power, it is a little bit. And it had just been so much stuff going the other way, him trying to dump things into right field. And so to see him rotate and turn on a ball was definitely an encouraging sign because there has not been a lot. He is... He's not been channeling uh, the Danny Jansen energy. We'll put it that no, way. Yeah, uh, and he could he could use much like me, much of the team could use a little bit more Danny Jansen energy. Uh, Kirk certainly could. Yeah, but also a lot of them. But also a lot of them. Um, I didn't want to necessarily lead with Manoa because everything is Manoa. So we had that little preamble there. But we do have to go to Manoa here because it seems like every start that he makes is, you know, it's significant on this weird journey that he's on this bizarre 2023 season. And the last time we talked, I think we were both relatively cautious in any optimism we had concerning what he did against the Detroit Tigers. And lo and behold, he came out and he had a rough one. And there were there were some tough breaks. The umpiring was bizarre. Um, the, you know, the fielding wasn't always perfect. But I, you know, the reason it seems like Manoa struggled in the first place is because his stuff was diminished and he's come back from the minor leagues. And we said, oh, in that first start, like, yeah, he did well, but was the stuff better? It didn't really seem to be. And, you know, this seemed to be what happened when a good lineup uh, or at least a very talented lineup gets a hold of that stuff that is not impressive right now. Yeah, and like you say, and and like you know, everyone on the Blue Jays was very quick to point out because of some some umpiring uh, <laughs> funniness, absolutely. Um, but I'm with you. Yeah, I mean, awful would be wrong. It was is maybe a strong word, but uh, 
you know, just could not could not get swing and miss, didn't get called strikes. You know, guys were fouling balls off. The stuff just was absolutely not there. And even though, you know, it, it, a couple innings went a little longer than they should have, um, yeah, sometimes that's to do with the call, but also you got to make a pitch to put a guy away. And he could not do that. I think it was, I think it was like 16 called and swinging strikes combined which is uh in 92 pitches is is i think maybe 15 i think it was 16 percent, and that that is just way on the low end of the scale uh of that statistic that uh, that doesn't necessarily i think cor- correlate to to era but uh is a pretty good indicator of uh a pitcher stuff and how he is and how well he is doing and and not not perfect because you know there are guys and manoa can be a guy who doesn't need to doesn't need to rely on strikeouts uh that wasn't the case coming out of the minors and in, in 2021 and i kind of would, would like him to go back to being more of a strikeout guy i think i could i'd, I'd sacrifice some efficiency for a little more uh swing and miss that uh that, that we used to see from him but uh you know he saw the success he had last year and i guess this is the kind of thing that they're trying to do uh and yeah you know you look at the under the hood stuff you look at the where the horizontal break was on the slider or something everybody's kind of keeping their eyes on and it was not good the velocity you know part of what was was going on with his trip to the minors was supposed to be getting the velocity back up that wasn't there it was uh you know for any any only lasted three innings and yeah some of that's the umpire but uh it was pretty close to awful i would say yeah and you know, even when he seemed to hit the spots that he kind of wanted, especially the slider, right? Like the fastball, I think there's a bit of a ceiling on what his fastball can be just because he's not a massive velocity guy. Like, you know, even at his highest level of velocity, he's not someone who is one of the hardest throwers in baseball. But the slider is special, or at least it has been special. And there's moments where he's throwing it, you know, where you want it to be, like just off the plate, off the edge, a little bit low, a little bit outside. And Kaiser just looking at it like it, yeah. it was not is not a pretty sight. And, you know, we have seen this has been a roller coaster. Like every time you feel like you've got this pinned down other than, you know, broadly speaking, it's not great. But like. You know, we said we had that weird start against all the, you know, the rookie league Yankees. And that was the biggest disaster we've seen. And, you know, Al Cop to overreacting to that based on what happened next. And then he went to double A and it was great. And then his first MLB starts great. And then we see this. So it, I'm reluctant to say, oh, here's where we're going next, because so far it's been pretty unpredictable. But it seems safe to say that as far as the quality of his repertoire, it just isn't biting right now. And it's a little surprising to see him back in the mine in the sorry, in the major leagues under those circumstances. Like I kind of figured that the whole point of sending him to the pitch lab and all that jazz was to make sure that his stuff was there. And it almost the way it's played out, it's almost like the Blue Jays kind of tried to make sure that he could throw strikes again. But throwing strikes isn't enough uh, based on what he's using right now. No, that's true. And then he wasn't really throwing strikes uh, yeah. in, against the Padres. Or, uh, you know, the slider per- strike percentage in particular went way, way down. Uh, and, and like you said, yeah, he the guys were just were looking at the slider, even though it looked like the location was good. Uh, I think Joe Siddle on the broadcast mentioned, you know, you weren't seeing the uncomfortable swings like guys were, were not in between and not knowing what was coming at them. It was it was, uh, you know, it was, a, yes, a good lineup, but it was it was just stuff that wasn't fooling anybody. And uh uh like i yeah it, it has been a roller coaster and I'm, I'm, I'm cautious to be too down on it but it definitely did not make me feel good about the progress he they keep saying that he's made and they they seem to really be holding up and 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 
be underpinning the reason that he is back in the big leagues. Um, and uh, nor does it make me feel great about uh, how many more kicks in the can he's going to get before something else is going to have to happen drastically. I, I hope I'm wrong. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the the columns or, that came out of that start, it wasn't just, oh, Manoa had a bad night. It was like, Manoa had a bad night and this changes where the Blue Jays are going to be at at the trade deadline. And mm-hmm. based on what he's throwing, I'm not even saying that that's an unfair column to write or that's an exaggeration in any way, but it is, you know, we're getting down to it here. We're getting pretty close to the trade deadline. And in a world where Manoa is even a trustworthy four, or five, you could tell yourself you don't really need to add a starter. And then in a world where Manoa can't be trusted at all, and your top three guys are Gosman and then you know Bassett and Barrios in some order, and you're looking at a possible you know Kikuchi playoff start if you make it to one of those long series, now you're telling yourself we probably do need a starting pitcher. So it is you know I, I guess there's a world where Ryu comes back, but he's not going to come back in time to tell the Blue Jays what they would need to know about his reliability. Like they can't going to the deadline, they can't treat Ryu as someone who is going to help him, even if he potentially does. And I did want to get into we have some Ross Atkins uh, talking about the trade deadline here, and you know as per usual, I think it's fair to say the the words themselves are not necessarily the most illuminating so we're going to do what we can to pick them apart and see what's actually there so uh stone i'm going to read you some quotes and we'll go through what uh if if there's more meaning perhaps than what is on the page sure Uh, i think this is from shy davidi's piece but i think there was a lot of uh i think everyone was there oh there's overlap yeah yeah i yeah i i I in fact have a piece that i might be out before this podcast about uh there yeah, you go. go. I just, go through a fine, fine tooth comb with this. So I just I'm wanted, ready for these. I think wanted to credit. I didn't want to be you know too much of the aggregator parasite type. Although you know, whatever happens, happens. Um, okay, so the the first one is very basic. Like we're better suited for a right handed bat, but open to any way that we can make our team better. The thing that's just funny with that quote is just you have to slap the second part onto basically everything you say. Because, you know, in theory, you could do something else and you don't you want to keep yourself open to things. And it, of course, like the, if you're a general manager, your job is to make the team better. But it, it's it's clear that they see what everyone else sees. And, you know, they're not idiots that this team would be a more potent offense if they had more reliable options offensively against left handed pitching. And so. The right hand bat, if you look at one thing that they need the most, like personally, I believe like that is the most obvious, unless you're a real Jordan Luplo believer, but that, that <laughs> seems like the most obvious thing that they can go get. And it's not necessarily that hard to get potentially. I, I think so. I think, but I think, I, I wonder if that's also an admission that, you know, they're the guys from the left side aren't getting the job done. One in particular, uh, you know, Varsho has been just brutal since mid June. Um, and you know, I, and this is part of what I'm writing about. Like he, uh, if he, he's on pace for like 2.5, uh, war by baseball reference, but like 1.1 by fan graphs and, and, you know, he, th- that's quite a variance and it's, it makes it difficult to, you know, if you believe on in the one number, it makes it hard to, to, you know, replace a guy like that, that, that the price to pay to get a better guy than that uh, is going to be pretty high because, you know, his defense and his base running have been excellent. It's just his production of the plate that's been so bad. Um, 
But on the other, you know, if you believe in the other number, then you know that's a guy who can can be re- replaced. Uh, you can you can do better. And also, you know, how much do you believe in? Uh, you know, even going back to like what you're saying with Ryu and with with looking at Manoa, like what you know, you're kind of getting down to it. And he is lost right now. And he is just, I think, in the in this particular month, I think he has five. He's like five for forty with one walk and uh, and like no extra base hits. Uh, so it, it, it's been bad. And I think that would be, you know, they kind of have to swallow their pride, but also maybe, you know, they're, they're not going to get that many more opportunities with this, uh, with its core really where they're in as good a position as this, uh, unless they, you know, unless some guys from the minors come up and, 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 you know, really help change the tra- trajectory, you know, Bo and Vlad are, are, or unless those extensions happen, which can obviously change things. And I'm not being super down about that, but they, those extensions don't exist right now. Uh, and you know, I, I wonder if they would be more aggressive in that sense. And maybe that, you know, going back to the quote from Atkins is that maybe he's suggesting, um, yeah, it's not, it's not just the right-handed bat that they, that they would look at. I mean, yes, they do have to tack that onto everything. And yes, I think the right-handed thing is an issue though. You know, Vlad has, has been, you know, not Vlad, uh, you know, in a lot of ways, obviously this year, but like his, like, I tweeted about this earlier today, like his ISO against, uh, against lefties is, is pathetic. Like he's, he, I think he has two extra base, uh, base hits against lefties all year. Uh, so that could certainly, there are ways to get more power, uh, you know, from internal options is what I'm saying, uh, and, and do better against left-handed pitchers, uh, you know, than this, which may negate some of that, you know, stronger need for the right-handed bat though. I would agree. That's probably where they want to go. But um, just offense in general would be would be real nice. A lot of days. Yeah, and I, you know the Vladdy thing. You're right; those numbers are brutal, and you expect them to be better. They they almost certainly will be better. But he's also, you know, we're fairly deep into his career here, and he's just not really been a lefty master. Like that hasn't been his pattern. Uh, he's struggled against a lot of changeups, off speed pitches, the type of stuff he sees from southpaws. That doesn't mean he can't hit it. You know, in his best years, he has, but. He's not that guy, you know, like Teoscar Hernandez was or, you know, Gurriel was who every year they would reliably hit better when they had the platoon advantage. He's kind of been neutral at times or even the other way. So he I should mean, be Te- better. better. Teoscar, there's a, there's a target right there. Oh, yeah. That would be, that'd be <laughs> interesting. Uh, on the starting pitching thing, and we, you know, we kind of touched on this, but, he, you know, Atkins said you can never have enough pitching as, as they say. So we have a contingency plan, but having the current group is a good place to be. So that's sort of the hint that they're not necessarily going to go get somebody else. And I think that you could argue that that's a defensible position. Like the rotation has been good, uh, and they have yeah a little bit more rotation depth than some teams maybe from sort of one to five, and a little bit less top end stuff behind you know Gosman, who's clearly a number one guy. You know, Barrios is, you know, we're talking well over 100, 115 innings or so of, you know, ERA in the low threes, too. So you can't be too unhappy with him in one of those bigger spots, even if the expected ERA says something different. But yeah, I don't know. I, that's, to me, that's a stronger suggestion than you might normally get from Atkins that that's not necessarily the priority. Yeah, I just think, yeah, I think that's probably true. And, you know, in terms of bodies, you just, you feel a little bit better. Uh, you know, Bowden France pitched pretty well. Uh, they, they, they did a, they, you know, you want Trevor Richards in, uh, um, 
you know, in, in the in a leverage, <laughs> a high leverage spot at this point, which is kind of crazy. But, uh, but you know, he can soak up some innings, and, and I think they could they could you know hybrid their way through a bunch of starts if they really had to. You know, if if Manoa goes sideways and if Ryu doesn't come back looking like the 2020 version or even the 2021 version. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that that's that that's probably right. I think he also mentioned something about like optionable guys or, or that you got to pay a premium for that, which I which which struck me uh, as either you know, be aware that we might pay a too high a price for an optionable guy, uh, <laughs> like we did with Mitch White, who was optionable for that one year and uh, has now become uh, a problem. Yeah, I mean, you really, I just don't think you want to overpay for guys with a lot of term right now because they just don't have as much ammunition as they used to have. They're, yeah. you know, and it's not like they're quote unquote running out of bullets completely. Like there's enough guys in anyone's farm system to generally speaking get what you want to get done done, but you, that hollows you out. And they're, they are not of the mind that they want to hollow themselves out. That's not where no. they want to be. Unless, unless you can get someone who, you know, is going to, because he has term, can slide over to third base and replace Matt Chapman or, or you know, can be one of your outfielders next year when Kiermaier goes. So, or be your DH next year. Yeah, I think that makes more posi- more sense on the position player side, whereas for yeah. a starting pitcher. No, term's going to be tough. Yeah. I'd be surprised. Um, another Atkins quote, he said, what we don't want to do is subtract from the current roster. We believe in the group that's here. We believe they've earned that right. We can't say we absolutely won't, but we prefer not to. What's weird is I, I'm not sure what question prompted this answer, to be fair, the, exactly. But uh, I don't think anyone reasonable would suggest that they do want to subtract from the current roster unless it's to service some you know bigger blockbuster, the type of blockbuster deal where you do have to trade guys from the roster because you need you know young MLB players or whatever to get it done. It just... It's it's really hard for me to envision that this is a crossroads the Blue Jays would find themselves at. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, just like numbers wise, like you know, Jordan Luplo, you're probably not going to be here after the trade deadline. Um, but yeah, I like actual sub- subtraction is tough. Like where who? It's not going to be Varsho, even though I I could I could use seeing him. You know, some of his bats subtracted at least. Um, you got PGO and and uh, and Espinal. Um, you know, if you yeah, if you if you can bring in two bats who you can make better use of than than Var than Varsho and one of those guys, uh, or who you can play just about every day, uh, yeah, one of those guys can be sacrificed, and they could be interesting trade chips, perhaps. You know, Biggio is is kind of uh, the rope is running out. It might be a guy who some uh, some other organization would have uh, would have a little bit of interest in Espinal too. Um, but but yeah, I think obviously the the priority is not to, to devalue the big league roster. Yeah, I mean, I guess in again, like I get, I'm thinking blockbusters here. I guess in theory, you could trade one of the catchers and believe that you're getting stuff. But you know, trading a catcher, you could argue, didn't go so well the first time. And I think you definitely, I don't know, in my opinion, you you want to have both Jansen and Kirk hanging around. But in terms of yeah, subtractions you could feasibly make and and somehow upgrade the team in the present maybe but i yeah i just don't see it which is just that's why the quote stood out to me because it was just hard for me to envision a scenario where they did make trades like that again if they lost every single game between now and the trade deadline and they want to talk about matt chapman 
Maybe, but that's just, again, that's just such a far-fetched scenario that it was mainly people making annoying arguments about it when they were at their worst. <laughs> like it's not. Yes. Yes. And uh, last, Atkins, we certainly don't need significant upticks. You've seen just recently with some more timely hitting, which we know in some cases can be very much luck-driven, but we can't fall back on that, of course. So we believe in this group so much that making it better, we have work to do. Hard uh, hard work to do with some of, without some level of subtraction, but we do think there's a way to add a little offense to this team without having to subtract anyone. The thing that I found funny about this, which is, you know, it's a lot of, it's a fairly generic jumble. It's just him specifically addressing the runners in scoring position thing again and making it clear that we, A, my opinion is that this is luck and largely nonsense, which I think is generally speaking a reasonable opinion. And B, mm -hmm. even though this is my opinion, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to double down on this opinion, even though I know that people don't like to hear it, I'm also going to say, oh, but we're going to do, we can't just fall back on that. We're going to do other stuff as well. We got, we're not just doing the, we're sitting patiently and waiting for aggression to the mean things. It's, I'm not, it's a weird communication way of straddling the line. Like you could just not bring up the luck thing <laughs> or, and just say you're going to do the stuff. Or you could double down and be like, yeah, this is what we believe and it's going to be okay. And, and you, you'd probably be right with that. But it, it just trying to do both uh, felt a little odd. Well, uh, you know, yeah, anytime, anytime you're looking at Ross quotes, you're going to feel a little odd. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I guess I get it. it. It's just, it's keeping the door. He's never found a door he doesn't want to keep open, right? It's uh, flexibility, uh, baby. Yeah. Oh, I love that flexibility. It's, uh, you know, yeah, if we don't, if we don't improve, that's because we don't think we need to improve. Um, you know, just in case we actually don't do anything, you can't throw it back at me because I did say, you know, it's, that's just luck, and we're we're gonna be we're gonna be better. Uh, I think that would be an insane path for them to take. Um, it, but you know, it, it can it can be very difficult. There might not be uh, a ton of sellers. There might be a lot of teams that are aggressive that are taking players away that the, you know they aren't able to get their hands on the best of them, or, or you know, just don't feel that the deals make sense. Uh, that's not, uh, that, I wouldn't rule that out. I would kind of, I'm more inclined even you know, more so even than a couple weeks ago to think that they might be more aggressive just because yeah, it really is getting down to it. And I think probably that is just also, uh, an effect of the fact that the Rays have kind of come back to the pack and well, we have absolutely like not kind of, they have come back to the pack. In the big way, yeah. Yeah. And so like the division is in play and that, that kind of changes everything too. I mean, I don't think, you know, I, I don't know the Orioles. Uh, they got a pretty good bullpen. They got some hitters. Yeah, they're, uh, they're not. I, I don't know. They're not bad. <laughs> they, yeah, I think it's fair to say they're not bad at this point. But it's also yeah. fair. They, they don't terrify me though either. I, I, yeah. I, I would, I would be. I think it's perfectly reasonable for the Jays to play six or seven games better than the Orioles over the last, you know, whatever it is, hundred or, or 60, 65 games or whatever it is. Yeah, Baltimore's not a juggernaut by any means. I. It is interesting because right now, if the trade deadline was going to happen right now, the Blue Jays are in a weird spot where they don't need to be better to do the thing where they get in there and hope for the best, but they can't probably improve enough to be the team that gets in there and feels like, oh, we're better than the roll of the dice. Uh, you know, we, you know, that the Dodgers team that gets Manny Machado, you know what I mean? Like the team that thinks like, Yes, we know the playoffs is kind of bullshit and kind of luck, but we're really good and we feel like we've got a chance to kind of buck the odds and do this thing because we're so damn good. 
So they're they're much closer to the like we hope we're that Braves team that won after the not great regular season, and there's just not enough they can do to get to that other level. What makes a difference is, like you say, if they if they feel the division is truly in play, if they get to the deadline and they are, I don't know, four, three and a half games. I think even five is a bit dicey, but whatever. If they feel like it can really strike the division, that is something to make meaningful upgrades for. If you're making upgrades for our team that is, you know, the sixth, seventh best team in the American League or fifth, whatever you want to say, uh, we're going to make it as a wild card, kind of whether we do anything or not, and we want to be slightly better, but we still won't be among the elite. Like, that's a weird place to really make a deadline push. And that's where it looked like they were, I don't know, a week ago, two weeks ago. And that might still be where they end up. It might. Yeah, it absolutely might. But it, it, though also, I mean, I think we've seen them in the past. Um, yeah, not really. I mean, they've, they've done rentals, but they don't necessarily like that. And they, and like, just going back to the, the guys that they have as free agents next year, you know, you can, uh, you know, they, they did, they got, you know, a, a year, a year and a half out of Whit Merrifield. They got a year and a half out of Jose Barrios. Um, you know, Dalton Varsho was clearly like that brought in with a view to probably him playing center field next year, but you know, just did it, did it a bit early. Like they, they could, they could jump on some of their roster plans for the, uh, the off season while, you know, also making their team better. And, and probably uh, that feels like a thing that they, they might do, you know, I, I would hope, I mean, wits worked out really well. And I've running down wit every week on this podcast. Yeah. He just keeps playing really well. He's, yeah. He's uh, hitting bombs lately. You know, I mean, good on him. God love him. Uh, Maybe he didn't need to go and, for the, <laughs> Steal a third on Thursday uh, after he'd shown that he was going to steal a third, and then he tried to do it again in Gary Sanchez's face. Not ideal. <laughs> Apparently not. Uh, but so, like, so, so you know that could that could justify some bigger swings than we're maybe anticipating if we sort of think of it as they might in the you know think of it about you know, roster building for next year in addition to this year. Yeah, that, that is a way they can do it. But if they do it that way, that is very expensive. And so as a result, again, we're, we're back in the area where we're talking about how much of the farm system they're eating. It's not impossible, but it, it is tough. It is, they're in a uh, murkier position, I think, than they've been in recent years. I think in recent years, it's been clear. It's like, oh, this team, largely, for whatever reason, it's been this team has struggled a little bit in the first half. They're better than that. Let's give them the push they need. That's sort of been the pattern. And most of the moves they've made have been, you know, like, you know, the Barrios moves, the Merrifield moves. Like, these, these moves generally have worked. There's, I looked at their rentals, you know, the Joaquin Benwas and Scott Feldman's and Brad Hands of the world. Like, it's been more misses <laughs> than hits on that account. But if you look at their bullpen now, like, they don't, like they might be floating around in those same kind of water. I, I don't know. No one wants to hear this, but it's like, oh, the Blue Jays might be acquiring that seventh or sixth reliever, not that second or third reliever, because they're and it's because their guys are really good. Like entering Thursday, their top six guys, uh, you know, the non Mitch White, Jay Jackson part of the bullpen. Uh, but, Jackson's been okay and too. I, yeah, I mean it's those it's unfair to put those two guys together like they're the same thing. Jackson's been all right, but <laughs> you know, the top 6 guys that you care about and use in proper leverage spots, like the, they've got a collective 307 ERA and 1085k per 9. Like Pearson has the velocity, Swanson has been the guy they had been promised. So 
I don't know. Like, it never hurts to get another great bullpen arm, but they're they're not going to be as desperate for bullpen arms as some of their contemporaries. Well, I think that's probably true. And they got they got Chad Green, who you know, uh, I mean, Atkins wasn't going to be like, yeah, we're a little worried about it, but but, but did say you know that uh, they're very encouraged by his progress and he's going to be getting into games again soon. Before we get out of here, I did want to touch on a couple of the kind of goofier stories we've seen over the last week. And the first one has to be the Mariner shop selling and then uh, rescinding the Blue Jays gear. <laughs> now, there's an element to this of we don't really know what goes on in the Mariner shop normally. Like it, it, this could have been happening a lot of the time, but it, it got out on social media. So that's, you know, that's how we know about it. There's this picture taken with the display of Blue Jays stuff in the shop. And then uh, I think that's July 17th that happened. And basically the next day, there's a bunch of players who chime in on the Mariners. who are like, come on, guys. And then it's gone from the shop. So we're talking about a couple day spin based on, you know, reaction on social media. I will say that. You know, a team is there to make money. So they're trying to do something they believe will make money. But there's a couple elements to this. One, what Blue Jays fan is going to Seattle to buy their stuff there where it's more expensive with American dollars? Like, why? Like, I'm, I don't know what the market for a Blue Jays gear from a Blue... Presumably, they have it. They're bringing it. Or they'll just buy it at home where it's cheaper. So that doesn't make any sense to me. And also, it like I don't know the degree to which they can sell a couple shirts, a couple hats here, probably isn't worth it for the alienating effect. I just can't see this being a good business move, even though apparently it's far from unprecedented around the league when you know the Yankees or Red Sox roll through town certain places and things like that. Well, yeah, and that was you know some of the chatter on on, uh, on Twitter with the Blue Jays this week too. Was uh, you know they used to do this, or the you know they would sell Yankees gear. I remember watching you know watching people at least you know at least vendors. I was I, I you know I'm not I'm not checking out the inventory of the team shop every time I go to a ball game, uh, but uh, but and then there was that story, and I, I retweeted or, or, or brought it up that the that in 2008 I believe maybe 2006. Must have been 2008 because I don't think I've been blogging then, but because I because I wrote about it, uh, and it was uh, where they had they had emailed opposing fans and offered them tickets for, for like to Blue Jays games before they had gone on sale to the general public in Toronto, which was a which was an outrage and an outrage at the time. And it, it's kind of uh, you know I you, you hate you understand even though it's obviously very funny with the shoe being on the other foot, but you you understand why Mariners fans get so irate about it. And because you're right, I think it is just a dumb business move. I mean, it's obviously a dumb business move because we're talking about the Blue Jays one, you know, almost 20 years later now, and uh, or 15 or whatever it is. Uh, and and yeah, I think like the alienation thing is is such a such a huge thing. You shouldn't want those fans to be comfortable there, and it it stinks, and it really. Uh, it really speaks to just the organizational mindset, which is we're going to soak you for as much as we can. We're going, we, you know, and I think Mariners fans already have that sense, you know, their payroll isn't what they think that it should be. They, you know, the success hasn't been uh, what they think it should be, especially, you know, some of the players that they've had are over the years and the decades, you know, that they haven't been able to successfully build around um, in a market that, that, has plenty of wealth isn't necessarily super small and absolutely you know 
should be done better by uh, by that organization, I think. And, I, and and it's little things like this that can really spark stuff like that. I think where where people, you know, it's like okay, you're, nah, you're that's a little too on the nose that you that you would cater to these other fans because you don't really care about making a baseball community around this team and making it, you know, something that, that is, you know, ingrained in the fabric of the city. It means a lot of things, a lot of things to people. Uh, you're just there to soak them. Yeah. And I, we don't have to get too deep into sort of the economics of brick and mortar stores and e-commerce, partly because uh, I'm not qualified to do that. But what I do know is that like these days, people buy such a high percentage of their goods online that a lot of times when you have a physical store, it's basically just an advertising play. Like it's a, it's a physical mm, billboard yeah. you can walk through. And a team store in a ballpark is one of the more extreme versions of that. Like it, it is a, you know, it's a mini propaganda hub within the ballpark. And that's exactly what it should be. And so when that goes like, you know, sometimes you have goofy, goofy stuff you'll see in team stores that you know they're not selling a ton of, but they're just kind of having it there for brand awareness purposes. And they're like it's supposed to be a fun little nook of the ballpark where you walk in and you don't necessarily want to spend the you know, hundred whatever bucks on a jersey it costs at the J store. Like you, I don't really walk through there. But sometimes people just want to kind of walk and see what's up and see which players they're featuring and all that stuff. Like it's part of the ballpark experience. So by having this rack of Blue Jay stuff that again like god knows how much money it makes like thou like single thousands at most maybe again i i, I don't want to I, I i see some people in there i see some people lined no, up no i mean at, the blue jays uh, one at, but the blue jays one, stuff the yeah the blue jays one in seattle i'm talking about like how many thousands of dollars could it possibly be making them like i don't know I mean, I definitely just from Twitter have uh, seen, and I've seen it in the ballpark too. But uh, but you know, people get swept up in the in the in the uh, the ballpark experience. They're like, I I do want to buy my favorite player's jersey right now, and and uh, you know, so there's some uh, maybe, but it just seems to me that like having that piece of your ballpark tainted for what I assume, I assume is a very little amount of money in the grand like for probably what you're paying one of your worst relievers to pitch to not pitch that day type money uh it just it strikes me as bizarre because uh, i think that's fair uh, and, and you know yes there probably is some impulse buy stuff but it's just because it's particular the particularly the blue jays too right like it's it's had the, if they did this for everybody if there was just a little shelf for everybody at the mariners team shop you know i don't think it would it would pass uh it would not be noticed uh but they're just so irate about the blue jays and the whole experience and losing three home games and and finding it miserable um which is all incredibly uh relatable even as i find it extremely funny that they have to endure it um that yeah of course people are going to get weird about it and and the players aspect of it too right like players bristling about it uh which is a thing and which also relates back to you know i don't i, I think i said on the tweet like i don't remember if uh blue jays players at the time you know were uh were upset about that in particular but i i know they definitely were upset about you know the the less the, some of the crowd in toronto and, and uh, i think that an aspect of that was absolutely the fact that you know at the time uh, it would feel like a Yankees or a Red Sox home game. It was so oh, annoying. And, uh, and 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 also, I remember they were they were they would get mad or they were mad about the fa- the flashback Friday stuff, where like the the team was the team was really 
you know, not selling them, not selling their brand, not selling their team, uh, was was trying to get people through the gate to to you know cheer for the old guys and and, and you know and, and I think players at the time in the Vernon Wells, Aaron Hill era uh, were were less than enthused about uh, about the attention paid to those guys and how that much of uh, the marketing went on there. So they they got their heads in that kind of uh space in terms of how the team operates sometimes and i think they're you know they're probably right to not want to see blue jays jerseys sold <laughs> like why why add to the number of blue jays jerseys in the stands when we're already the visiting team in our home ballpark yeah absolutely the good news for vernon wells and uh aaron hill and the like is that about 40 percent of all sports twitter now is just accounts tweeting pictures of old logos and saying who do you think of when you see this logo <laughs> so that's really put the aaron hill and uh, vernon wells back in circulation in the public yeah, consciousness <laughs> get them on your immaculate grids <laughs> on a more uh a more positive note in terms of the fan experience we have been i'd say closely covering the hot dog consumption beat on the podcast here <laughs> And on Tuesday night, the Toronto Blue Jays fan base absolutely obliterated its previous record with 75,173 hot dogs consumed. Now, context is important. That number might not mean anything to you. But what I will say is these are the previous Looney Dog uh, numbers for the rest of the season. I'm just going to read them in order quickly. Fifth. I'm not exactly just the number in thousands, so we can save some time. 51,000, 61,000, 53,000, 49,000, 60,000, and then this huge one, 75,000. That is quite the jump. The, the tricky thing here is not actually the record for hot dogs per fan. It's 1.76 dogs per fan, and I feel like at some point I'd love to see them crack two here. Um, 1.79 is the record. So it was more because a lot of people wanted to go to the game and see the Padres. So that's a positive. Lots of fans, <laughs> yes. lots of hot dogs. And what I will say, and, and again, we've, uh, we've mentioned Shai Davidi early in the podcast. He deserves credit here because he has been really doing the legwork on all this. And in 2022, they had his, uh, according to his numbers, the average dogs per fan was 1.18. And in 2023, Ooh. For the whole season, it has gone to 1.71, which is a massive uh, increase. You know, we're talking thousands and thousands of hot dogs here, which for the people who are creating these hot dogs and serving these hot dogs, I imagine is an annoyance or a difficulty at the very least. But the fans in Toronto, they're getting better at this. And uh, I'm excited to see where this goes. We're so early in the history of Looney Dogs um, or the recent history of Looney Dogs. I'm sure they just actually were a dollar at some point back in the day. But the uh, the 2020s version of Looney Dogs is kind of in its infancy, and it's impressive the way it's taking off. Yeah, I I, I hope they follow through with it. I mean, like the the grim thought I have about it is like, okay, well, yeah, in 2021, uh, the cost of a pack of hot dogs was not as much as it is now, so it just didn't seem like as good a deal. And now it's like, wow, a dollar for a hot dog? Like, you did? Do you know what? butter costs now do you know what eggs cost like it's it's like that that's starting to sound like like oh i'm, I'm coming out on a, on a pretty good deal not that it wasn't in 2021 but uh you know the value add is just uh uh just keeps on going up thanks to our little dystopia here um but yeah i don't know like uh, i know it has been around and maybe maybe that plays into it but it definitely is a thing that like non-baseball people uh 
when I chat with them, they are they're they want it, they're like one dollar for one dollar hot dog. Like this is a uh, it, it's a it's like a minor league baseball novelty kind of thing, and uh, you know novelty is good. They're quite novel, um, and, and it's it is remarkable. I think I'd, I'd like to see them. I'm with you. I'd like to see them get up to two dogs per person, uh, and I think we can do it. Yeah, I mean, I've I've done it once, and I topped out at seven, and I had purchased eight, and so the the eighth one Ooh. I physically could not uh, put down. <laughs> if I had known that that eighth one would have put the entire ballpark at over two per person, like if that had been the tipping point, <laughs> I think I would have been able to do it. But well, it, it, it probably it still counted. Uh, they're, they're only kind of ah, sold true. ones. Yeah, I think. So they, don't, they don't ask you. A, they don't ask you a survey. <laughs> yeah, they, that you exit. They don't have film you eating them all. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's fair. So actually, that's that would have been fine. Uh, that's good to know. I, I'll never have to force myself to eat a loony dog. I do think one thing that you hit on there that's accurate is that this goes beyond baseball fans in a way that other promotions don't. Like they do goofy promotions, but. You know, a bobblehead, for instance, a jersey, even like Kevin Gosman splitter jersey that doesn't even look like a real jersey. You still have to have that level of interest in the Jays or in baseball in general to really appreciate those items. And they do do some other stuff, but this is the... You, know, you, don't, you didn't get a Chappie Couture shirt? Yeah. <laughs> there was some weird advertising around Chappie Couture, <laughs> I'll say that. But this is one where people, I can see it actually drawing people to the ballpark who are, you know, either the most casual of the casual or, you know, barely interested in baseball at all. And normally a big league club doesn't have the luxury of doing things like that because they don't want to kind of be seen as a hack two bit operation. You know what I mean? Like they don't do some of the wild stuff you see in the minors. Because, you know, it's a billion dollar plus organization and I don't know, there's some level of seriousness, I guess. And this sort of punctures through all of that in a way that I really appreciate. Yeah, I, you know, I like, I like it. Classic loss leader, you know, (laughs) it's like the, it's like the, the, well, Costco has the hot dog. They got that rotisserie chicken. You know, gotta, gotta, gotta swipe one of those. I mean, I'm too, I'm, I'm not downtown anymore, so I know about these things, but, uh. Uh, yeah, all my all my chicken heads out there must. Uh, all the chicken heads. Uh, they're they're all nodding. I assure you. All right, what a place to leave it. Uh, thanks everyone <laughs> for listening for listening to episode 107. We will be back with you next week for episode 108. We appreciate any ratings, reviews, things of that nature that you give us, and we will talk to you shortly. 